0: Everyone and Welcome to The Cinematic Schematic, the official podcast of thecinematropolis.com, your home to thoughtful conversations on film. I'm your host, Caleb Masters, and today we're going to attempt to to saddle the giant uh, sandworms with a a spoiler-free review of the highly anticipated Dune, not to be confused with David Lynch's 1984 film. This one is the 2021 version from writer-director Denis Villeneuve, and then we'll also have a spoiler-filled discussion of the plot. Uh, along with some of the film's themes, because, hey, this movie's got a lot on its mind. I do want to know for listeners as well, in the spoiler section, we will just be spoiling everything in the context of Dune Part 1, the 2021 film. We will not be spoiling the second half of David Lynch's uh, 1984 film, nor are we going to be spoiling anything from the novel. Now, with that said, uh, one does not take over a rival house on their own. They have to, to summon the Imperium. They have to to, to to make a deal, create some bargains. So uh, with that, I'm so excited to welcome the special guest we have around the table today. Uh, first up, we are welcoming back returning guest uh, from actually from our last review, uh, Dalton Stewart from the Good Trash Genrecast. Dalton, welcome back to the Cinematic Manic. Great to be back. The last
1: one must have gone well enough that uh, my, my cries to be able to speak about Melange were
0: heard. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> I, I, it was actually just the spices that you gave me after the last review. You gave me a lot of it. I, yeah, I am usually <laughs> holding spice. <laughs> um, and I'm also super excited to welcome back. It's been uh, a hot minute. Uh, yeah, what, 2020, oh, 2020? Yeah. Uh, Dead Center Film Festival? A long time. <laughs> Way too long. I am so excited to welcome back uh, the managing editor over at No Film School, uh, also contributor at the Cinematropolis, Joe Light. Joe, welcome back.
2: Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here.
0: Uh, and last but certainly not least, I'm uh, very thrilled to be welcoming an actual sandworm. Uh, one could could argue he lets the splice uh, the spice flow through him each and every day. Uh, friend, contributor at the Cinematropolis and World Lit today, Daniel Bokemper. Daniel, uh, you you survived the Snyder Cut discussion just in time for Dune. Oy,
3: oh, <laughs> yeah, right, right, yeah, hell, yeah, hell, yeah, yeah. Sorry, that, that was me introducing myself in Sauticar throat singing Um, uh, yeah it's great to be back thank you for having me Um, I did survive and even enjoyed the Snyder Cut of uh, Justice League so I'm happy to be back here
0: if listeners want to hear us having a four 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 and a half hour discussion, no, JK, it was only about two and a half hour discussion of the Snyder Cut, uh, you can check out Daniel Bo Kemper's last uh, appearance on the cinematic schematic uh, in March where we talked about Zack Snyder's Justice League. Uh, what a movie. What a movie. Uh, now, before we get into today's review, I did just want to quickly note, listeners, that if you're listening to the show today and you've enjoyed the conversation, uh, the best way that you can support the show is by uh, subscribing or following via your preferred podcast app, especially Apple, uh, which is still the top dog in the podcast space. You can leave us a, a rating uh, or a review it would be very helpful. Help us get discovered by other listeners like yourself. Um, uh, and also say, uh, if you want to hit us up on social media, you can follow us on Twitter at The Cinema Trap or head over to facebook.com forward slash Uh, The Cinematropolis now it's been a hot minute. So, so we actually took a little bit of a hiatus listeners uh, the the last review we we actually did with Dalton here was uh, the the suicide squad uh, back in August. And I'm super excited to just make a more formal announcement that after taking uh, an early fall hiatus, uh, moving home, changing day jobs, all that uh, fun stuff uh, that we're going to be back on schedule. um, And we're aiming for two uh, in-depth discussions a month. So uh, again, all sorts of goodies that you will find when you subscribe to the podcast. Uh, Now, with that said, all the housekeeping out of the way, I want listeners to get to know each of you a little bit better. Uh, So we're going to start with a little icebreaker question today. And uh, the question I've come up with here is uh, actually related to Dune, because this film, I don't know if you guys noticed, is filled with so many wonderful names. They're very creative. Uh, Duncan, Idaho uh, is a great one. Uh, We get the, the House Atreus, an epic name. And who is the lead character? Uh, not Leto, no, no, Paul, Paul, uh, Atreus, uh, or maybe even characters like Lady Jessica, you know? <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. I found it funny to have all these really incredible creative sci-fi sounding names. And then the main character's name is Paul. <laughs> um, so with that said, uh, I want to go around the table to hear what your Dune names would be. And Daniel Bowkamper, I'm going to start with you.
3: <sighs> so this one isn't very original, but... In the uh, second season of What We Do in the Shadows, there's an episode where one of the uh, main vampires, Laszlo, um, is trying to evade a debt to another vampire. That's like $20. So naturally, he escapes the state and goes and lives elsewhere. And he assumes the name
0: Jackie Daytona,
3: (laughs) normal human bartender. And I feel like Jackie Daytona could totally be um, one of Duncan Idaho's warriors. Um, so I like that. I may also go with like Floyd, Iowa or Johnny, Kansas, but uh, this one isn't really a name, but the uh, the croissants Hatterack. Um, I know that's more of like a, a concept, but uh, that's a really fun word to say. So I feel like croissant side of ranch would maybe be my. <laughs>
0: You just said like four names at me. What, what which one did you just pick? Daniel? Which one's the best? Did You pick the croissant.
3: Oh no, I can't pick the croissant one. Probably croissant I, I, side of ranch. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite meal. Uh I'm okay, so now maybe I should have changed the game.
0: Maybe we should have done is it a? is it a dune name or a porn name? I'm not sure. Mm. <laughs> I don't know.
1: Yeah, uh, it could both, really go right? really. I mean right. Thufra Hawat could really go either way. Oh man. You gotta oh my gosh. What a name. How do you pronounce
3: that name? go, go uh, on with time. Com-
1: with confidence.
3: Yes. <laughs> Hawat. I'm not going to do it again. <laughs> Home. I did not. Okay. <laughs> that character just does not exist to me. I just. So,
0: so Daniel is a man of many names. You got to pick one, Daniel. I, I the croissant. Okay, the croissant. Side of ranch. Croissant. Side of ranch. You got to say the whole thing. <laughs> croissant. Side of ranch. All right. Joe Light. What is your Dune name?
2: Um, I really like that episode of What We Do in the Shadows, by the way. Um, I was talking about this with my husband and we were joking that I could be like the femme version of Keanu Reeves' character in like the Dune universe where he was in point break, I could just be the Johnny Utah of like yes. of, <laughs> of like the yeah. Dune universe.
0: <laughs> you know Johnny Utah would fit right in yeah. to Dune, basically.
2: Yeah. Duncan Idaho, Johnny Utah.
0: Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Dalton Stewart. You get a top Johnny Utah man. He's your boy Keanu. I, you know I love him. How do you feel about worm Spiceman? Worm Spiceman. See, that, that that's appropriate because it's just on the nose enough to feel like it fits. Yeah. Yeah. Worm yeah. It's, it's just, just in the realm of doing enough. I like it uh, because with a lot of the, the genre films, it's they—it's they, like they run out of names and they either get really lazy like uh, Lady Jessica or they get really on the nose. Either way, it's still part of the charm, I think. Um, I am going to go with uh, Jackson, Minnesota, not to be confused Perfect. with with, with. I you know, there probably is a Jackson, Minnesota somewhere. But I just was like, name generator, what's what's a, a random, like, uh kind of like strong last name, make that the first name, and then go with the state in the United States of America. So Jackson, Minnesota. That's a guy. Someone out there has that. Name. That's a guy, oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to spoil the sequel, but Jay Smith <laughs> Duncan Idaho actually has a brother guys and uh <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, this has been a lot of fun, uh, listeners, and uh, maybe you have a Dune name that you'd like to share with the cinematic schematic. Uh, you can let us know by tweeting at us at The Cinematrop on Twitter uh, or hitting us up on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Cinematropolis or emailing us The Cinematropolis at gmail.com. All right, uh, but let's get on to the, the main event here. Let's dive into our spoiler free review of Dune Part 1. Mm-hmm.
2: My planet Arrakis is so beautiful when the sun is low. Rolling over the sands, you can see spice in the air. The outsiders ravage our lands in front of our eyes. Their cruelty to my people is all I've known.
0: What's to become of our world? Both.
3: A boy! <laughs> hey, Duncan, can I trust you with something? Yes, always, you know that. I've been having dreams. About a girl on Arrakis. I don't know what it means. Dreams make good stories. But everything important happens when we're awake.
0: Who are you, put on some muscle? I did. Now, according to IMDb, Dune uh, is described as a feature adaptation of Frank Herbert's science fiction novel about the son of a noble family entrusted with the protection of the most valuable asset and most vital element in the galaxy. Man, I hate IMDb synopsis. Sometimes they're home runs and sometimes it's like they just like had a <laughs> bot create it for them. Yeah. They describe the novel sort of. Uh, so that, ladies and gentlemen, is Dune part one. Uh, I want to stop here because we are going to be talking about part one again, because surprise, if you're listening to this and haven't seen it in the theater yet, you probably don't know that it's Dune part one. Uh, We're going to get into that more uh, in the discussion. Now, with that said, I want to... Listeners to know a little bit more about our relationship. Obviously, uh, there's a popular novel that the film is based on, as well as uh, David Lynch's 1984 film. So Dalton Stewart, uh, to give us a little more context here, could you tell us exactly a little bit about your relationship with Dune heading into Dune Part One? Yeah, I'm a I'm a recent convert
1: to the majesty that is Shy Hulud. Uh,
0: I just recently got into Dune, but I liked it a
1: lot. Yeah, yeah. in anticipation of this film, I, uh, I read the novel Uh, I listened to the novel, let's be honest, uh, this last year and man, did I really like it. And I tried to jump immediately into Dune Messiah, which is not something I would recommend. (laughs) It's a little little too dense to do back to back. Uh, but I am now back into Dune Messiah. Uh, I've seen bits and pieces of the Lynch, uh, Dune, but I have not seen it all the way through. Um, but yeah, a recent, recent discovery for me, but I've really, really been enjoying, uh, going into Frank Herbert's weird little world.
0: Excellent. I think that's, uh, that... That sounds like a very healthy relationship with, with Dune uh, because if you've watched the entire David Lynch film, I wonder if you are currently living in a fever dream. We'll get to more of that Now, later. I
1: do love the first half hour of that movie, which it's I've great. seen a few times. And boy, do they get some of the weirder stuff from the books. Oh, yeah. Right out front and center.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Joe Light, turn to you. What is your relationship with Dune?
2: Um, I have to say that I had not interacted with it in a very deep fashion before watching a Villeneuve's Dune at all. Like I had kind of been familiar with aspects of Lynch's Dune. um, But I will say that now TikTok is serving me up a lot of Dune content. Like I'm seeing a lot of uh, Lynch clips that I've never seen before and kind of comparing it now with the new version of Dune um, and seeing a lot of like explainer videos that I didn't even know that I needed Uh, In terms of, like, why aren't there computers in Dune and things like that. So getting more, I think, into the mythology and the world building now after having seen the film. But before then, really had not experienced a lot of it at all.
0: So you went in totally fresh. You didn't know a lot about the novel or the previous Mm film.
2: Yeah, I hadn't read it at all or
3: anything.
0: It's fantastic. (laughs) Fresh perspective there. Daniel Boekemper, what is your relationship with uh, Dune?
3: Yeah, kind of similar to Dalton's, actually. I read Dune, I believe, in anticipation of this film in 2018 for the first time. Um, definitely enjoyed it. Uh, I I also didn't watch David Lynch's version of Dune until shortly thereafter, um, but I had seen like bits and pieces uh, throughout my childhood and thought it was cool. I just didn't know it was, you know, a movie. Um, like in its entirety, I always thought it was just like a television series or something like that. And then rediscovering it later in life. Um I I I I do enjoy Lynch's version um knowing it's not like particularly good. Mm-hmm. Um I think it's super imaginative and a really good example of how not to adapt something. Um but but yeah, I, I would say Fringe. I haven't read anything beyond um the first dune, but I did have the entirety of the series spoiled for me on a, a like a 4-hour YouTube binge, so mm-hmm.
0: You know, as one does, right? Really, in, in the year <laughs> 2021. I No, I think um, my experiences are similar. So I read the novel when I was 15. So it's been you know 15 years, dating myself a little bit since I've read it. So um, I also had I didn't read past the first novel, but I had a good friend who had read uh, all of them that were out at that time. I think his son was still putting out more sequels at that time or spinoffs at that right. point in time. Uh, so I know like the gist of, I know the first novel real fuzzy and I know the gist of kind of like the, the larger series, but, um, you know, it's funny, David Lynch is doing, I don't know if I've ever watched it start to finish. I have seen the first half of it many, many, many times. <laughs> And I've seen the second half of it a couple of times when it is like, you know, because that was one of those movies that would play on the sci fi channel all the time when I was a kid. So I catch bits and, bits and pieces of it. And recently uh, me and my girlfriend, Lauren, uh, turned it on just to, to see. And sure enough, I made it about 45 minutes in before I passed out. And I was like, I already feel like I'm in a fever dream. It's just such a interesting film. I, I actually admire it for its weirdness. Oh Yeah, but um, it's certainly not. I don't know if I'd say a good movie. Yeah, probably not. Uh, David Lynch himself has disavowed himself from that film. Does he still do that? Yeah, it's it's like he
1: hates it when people bring it up. Apparently, he just feels real real bad about the whole thing.
3: What an
0: old shit.
1: <laughs>
3: just own it. Own your mistakes. Come on.
0: <laughs> you know, uh, it's okay. We got Twin Peaks The Return. It's David true. Lynch I got, to, got to keep making the stuff he wanted. Okay, so listeners, now that you know a little bit about Our perspectives here, I I also want to beg the question, how did we all see Dune? Times are complicated. Some people don't feel comfortable going to the theater, which is perfectly fine. Some people are out and about. Um, So, I And I know this movie in particular, uh, much like Christopher Nolan movies have historically been marketed as you must see it in the theater or you haven't seen the movie. So I just want to get some uh, perspective around the table about what our experience was with the movie. Uh, So, Joe, how did you see this film?
2: I have to say, unfortunately, I watched it at home. Even though I'm not super proud of that, I would have preferred to see it in IMAX. I would have preferred to see it in a theater because I'm kind of a purist that way. Um, But at the time right now, I'm just so busy that, thankfully, it being on uh, HBO Max, I opted for that and kind of, like, was able to pause it and do my work and come and go. And I know that's not the perfect way to see that, and I actually hate that I saw it that way. Um... But that's how I watched it. Unfortunately, at home, uh, at uh, on HBO Max.
0: Hey, that's okay. You, you got to get what you got to do in the year 2021.
2: I know, but I am, again, as I said, a purist, and I know that IMAX is so beautiful, and that's how my husband saw it, and I'm really jealous. So I will go and watch it again in IMAX as soon as I
0: can. You've got <laughs> you've got one week until Eternals kicks it out. Uh, I know. I'm sure it'll come back though. I feel like that's one of those kind of like the Dark Knight. They randomly bring it back when they need something to, to fill the IMAX screens. Mm. Yeah. Nothing would make
1: me happier than to see Dune kick Eternals out of IMAXs. <sighs> oh, oh. <laughs> It'd be the best thing. <sighs> be the best. I actually secretly hope that
0: happens. Yes. Dalton Stewart, how about you? Um, I
1: caught a matinee 4DX, which I had never seen before. 4DX? Yeah, so I so got to smelled smell the spice. I smelled the spice. Oh, oh, no. I went home with my shirt stinking of spice. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, I, I mean, Joe, to your point, it's hard to go see a movie, especially mm-hmm. when it's oh, oh, almost three hours long. You got to build your whole damn day around going to see Dune, um, which is why I didn't see it at IMAX. There just weren't any showtimes that worked out. So I saw 4DX, which uh, I don't know. I can see hating it. I wouldn't blame anybody for hating it, but that was fun. You know, it's it's a novel way to watch a movie. It's not
0: something I'd make a habit of. Did you ride the sandworm? Well, I mean, I don't know. We don't. We can't get into spoilers here. (laughs) I mean, there's sandworms in the movie, and you're okay. Fine.
3: Note how Caleb (laughs) at the start of this said saddle the sandworm, and then spoiler free in the same like sentence.
0: Really? Listen, listen. You guys are taking my joke way too literally. Oh man! Um, spoilers for part two. All right. So, Daniel Bo how did you go about seeing Doom? Uh,
3: shamelessly at home, or shame? Yes, shamelessly at home on my uh, desktop computer with its terrible speakers. Uh, I, I don't think a the quality of a film is defined by how you see it. Just as long as you do see it, but. I will admit that Dune especially probably does benefit from the IMAX experience, especially we'll get into like, you know, how it, how it presents a sense of scope. And I really think, yeah, I probably did miss a little bit of that at the at home experience, but yeah, do what you got to do. And I, I'm pro access, so I'm glad it's accessible. Mm -hmm. I do feel like, um, similar to Joe, I do feel like I'm missing just a little bit. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. Now that Dalton describes the forty experience and smelling Dune, I, I I really the way to go, try. I know.
1: I'll, is that... I'll spoil it for you. It mostly smells like cinnamon and industrial cleaner. But oh, that's good. <laughs> it's pretty, that's good. I'm on for I that. Pretty. Yeah, I was pretty into it. So, were you? Did you have like the chairs that? Yes, that's oh. what 40x is. The chairs that move. You didn't like the chairs? I, no, no, I did like the chairs. Okay. I'm just okay. saying, like, you know, I also don't need to get beat up during the fight scenes. Which, that's, if that's it had true. done it the whole time, it would have been a nice relaxing massage. But it's just every once in a while, I'm getting shot in the kidneys. Like, what?
2: what's
3: happening? <laughs> I've
2: heard that the sound is like really in your face. Too. I
1: didn't really notice it. I've, I've, it's definitely not like Dolby outmos
3: intense with the sound. Did it get real wild when uh, Duncan Idaho hugs Paul?
1: Uh, I, I, like... I, I wish I had been hugged more, more tightly oh, okay. by the chair at that
0: moment. Yeah. <laughs> you, One of the many good space daddy hugs in this movie. Right. There's so many good space daddy hugs and, and just so much great Jason Momoa in this movie. In fact, mm-hmm. A little bit of Jason Momoa goes a long way. It does. What, what about you, Caleb? How did you see this, I, this beautiful film? I, I watched it the way Denis Villeneuve intended uh, on my iWatch. Uh, <laughs> <no,
3: no, laughs>
1: on your joking. fucking phone?
3: <laughs> <laughs> you are cheating you yourself. Are <laughs> cheating yourself. Uh, Chloe Jow <laughs> is You it. may <laughs> think <laughs> you experienced the film.
0: Uh, no, you mentioned the Dolby Atmos. I saw it at the the Dolby Theater at the the Quail Springs, Dang, nice. um, which is which was great. Um, I think what I want to hone in on here uh, is Daniel, I think you're, you're spot on. I don't think a movie is better or worse. The movie itself is not better or worse. How you watch it. The experience is definitely different. You, yeah. you notice things and there's obviously a lot of care that was put into all the details of this film that pop a little more, uh, Hans Zimmer score. Nothing beats a Hans Zimmer score with the sound. Uh, it's, it's pretty incredible. um, so it was great. Uh, the, the experience was great. You know, there the were scenes where, if you, I don't know if you guys have been in a Dolby theater, but when the the bass starts rumbling, you feel like you're on a rocket ship or something like that. Um, you know, um, I'm too tall for those seats, though, so they do get a little uncomfortable after two hours and 40 minutes. Uh, my legs get a little crunched in there. But, um, no, it was great, but I got to see it on the big screen. Um, I kind of want to do the 4D version, though, so I can do some comparison. I want to know if I can, can like, see and feel Oscar Isaac's beard and like, and, and really experience the really experience being told all you need to be is my
1: son. Yeah. That's all I need. Oh,
0: the dream, uh, mm-hmm. the dream. Mm-hmm.
1: It's fun. I've is fun. Uh, I didn't have to watch it in 3d either, which I was a little bit worried about. Well, I would have God. to do. Yeah, it was 2d,
0: which was perfect. Is it just me? This is a whole other podcast. Probably. But I'm just okay. going to throw this, this question out there. Has post pandemic been less 3d than pre pandemic? Cause it certainly seems that way. Was I, feel the, like, I feel like it was before it was like 20.
3: 18, 20, 19, I feel like this really off? started tapering off. Yeah. What, was Dune in 3D? I didn't know that was in.
1: It's, it's got a handful of 3D show times, I think. Oh,
3: really? Huh.
2: I, I didn't think. even know that. I didn't either. I
0: could yeah. be wrong on that entirely.
3: I wouldn't be surprised, though. I mean. I
0: thought I saw one. But you had to sell the $165 million budget to Warner Brothers somehow. Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, all right. So, listeners, now you know how we watched it. You see our biases. Let's just get down to, to business here. Uh, what did we all think of Dune? And Joe, I'm actually going to start with you because you you, you came into this uh, something of a doom virgin, one could say, mm. uh, cleansed of any sort of bias <laughs> other than that you know that Denis Villeneuve made the movie. Uh, so tell us, what were your thoughts on Dune? Um,
2: I will say that we did put out um, an explainer post that I had to edit. So I was sort of semi-familiar with the politics and the themes of the film going in. Um, So I don't know if that influenced how I felt about the film overall, but I do think that I really, at the end of the day, liked it a lot. Um, I really liked the kind of big concepts that were explored in the story. Uh, I think that with any like sci-fi epic um, and the only thing that I really have to compare it to is um, Hyperion, which I don't know if anyone here has read, which is like a huge sci-fi universe Um, that they're trying to adapt, and they've been trying to adapt for many years. I think um, Bradley Cooper is actually really passionate about that story, but um, with any like huge sci-fi story that's set thousands of years in the future, there's so much to cover, and I think that this film is really long, it's really involved, and there's a lot to cover, but I think that they do it really, really well, and I was engaged the whole time, and I was... I felt the emotion of a lot of the things that they were trying to convey, especially with... I mean, I mean Paul's arc is compelling, I think, no matter how much knowledge you come into the film with. Um, so, yeah, I really, really liked it at the end of the day, and I think that it's a, a really good adaptation and visually stunning. I mean, I don't think that anyone can fault the cinematography and the scope of everything that they were trying to do. Um, so, yeah, at the end of the day, I was... I was really, really impressed and excited, thankfully, that they got the part two uh, yeah. greenlit in in the last couple of days. So, yeah, I'm excited to definitely see the
0: next part of what they put together. Excellent. So, overall, we've got a thumbs up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Daniel Bokemper, what were your thoughts on Dune Part 1?
3: Yeah, really close to uh, Joe's, actually. I I enjoyed it. I think it's a, a, a worthy um, rendition of its source. I think in a lot of ways, too, it's kind of a reminder— this is going to sound really uh, cliche and, and hokey and maybe a little sappy, but it reminds us of what cinema is capable of. It's mm-hmm. like, if you can really capture Dune in the way that this film does, it's hard to imagine what stories we can't tell in film. Uh, so I like it for that. I also, I alluded to the scope being a reason to see it in IMAX uh, or I imagine a reason to see it in IMAX. I have not seen it in IMAX, but um, the sense of scope. Um, I think it does something that a lot of films, Maybe especially like blockbuster films have a hard time kind of easing back on, which is just let things be silent. I think this film does a way better it um, it 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 has a, a really good method I guess and not that it's a it's entirely original at parts it made me think of like two thousand and one a Space Odyssey in the sense you just feel very small and kind of microscopic not in a bad way but but it it really establishes that when you see those silent hovering massive spacecrafts and you're just kind of lingering in that in that environment that's that's something the film does um, exceptionally well and exceedingly well Hans Zimmer's score of course helps that from the uh, bagpipes to the, the uh Sardaukar throat singing. Um, there's a, there's a, a lot going on and the, the, the score definitely lends itself to that. Um, I would say the pacing is good for how close of an adaptation it is. Um, it, it, it's appropriate it does kind of lends itself to a minor criticism I have of the film that we'll, we'll dig into a little bit later, but otherwise I do think it's inappropriate. appropriate. Um, and I think uh, the portrayals of some of the characters, especially Oscar Isaacs, um, Leto and, um, Oh, Stellan, uh, scars Baron are incredible. Um, those are, those are very exceptional. And then I think just overall stylistically, Villeneuve's, um, you know, paints a very beautiful, Picture of Dune, and I think he breathes uh, a lot of life um, into Arrakis that that I think, unfortunately, um, Lynch and all of his creative brilliance uh, maybe didn't didn't quite capture. Um, maybe because he didn't have the technology for it. Yeah, nineteen eighty four is a lot different. He did yeah twenty one exactly exactly. So no, not not a real slight, but overall, um, yeah, I, I I liked it. I am very glad um, this film is the way it is because it could have gone. Very, very, very south. Like um, this. I
0: mean, we should probably mention this book has been called unadaptable several times. Yes, uh, in yes. the past. So, mission accomplished. Despite
1: somebody taking a swing at it. Trying, <laughs> tried really hard. That's the thing about Lynch's movie; it's ambitious. But move, uh, move, movie exists. Movie happened. Mm-hmm,
3: Adapted. Yeah. Unfilmable.
0: Yeah, it happened. <laughs> Film. It, it was yeah, filmed. done. <laughs> oh gosh! All right. Well, Dalton Stewart, let's turn to you. What did you think of Doom? Big movie, big Caleb. I love it. <laughs> it's so good. Oh my god, it's beautiful.
1: The production design on this movie. Are you kidding me? It's brutalist and gothy and mythic and ah, it feels special and important. Like again, I you know it is. It can't come across as corny or hokey, but like Dad said, yeah, it's it. Oh, it makes you go moo movies. Ah, oh, mm-hmm. I love these things. <laughs> uh, with the pictures and the sound, come on. You know, uh, you, you know, I liked it so much. Like I'm almost immediately started watching chunks of it again. Like I think that night or maybe the next day, I went ahead and opened up HBO Max. I was like, well, let's watch a few more parts of this movie again. Yeah, it's spectacular. Uh, there's things I don't like about it, but that's like you know, very quibbly. Denny's been thinking about making a dune movie longer than I have obviously but there's some stuff that's just like well there's some stuff I'd have liked to have seen you know there's some some themes that I would have liked to have spent more time with but as Joe alluded to like the emotions in this movie do not get lost and I feel like that's such a you know dune for all of its politicking and people thinking and, and trying to outmaneuver and outsmart each other it is a lot of the very emotions forward uh story um and, and I think that that gets captured really well I mean uh, Oh my gosh, Lady Jessica, played by Rebecca Ferguson. There we go. Uh, my brain failed me for a second. Rebecca Ferguson just throwing heat, this whole movie. Oh, oh, yeah. She's Stem. so good. Dude, just with, with her face, just like the littlest things. Community, And that's that so much of Dune is people's internal monologues or them thinking about what other people might be thinking about. And the movie uh, so successfully uh, gets this cast just dialed in uh, that that you are getting those nuances of performance in, in, in really small ways. in a movie that's not talky, like, again, a, a book full of dialogue is mostly experiential, which I think is a hell of a challenge uh, to take such a
0: dense text and make it all about sound and visuals.
1: That's very impressive to me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think that's one thing. um, I'm real glad you pointed that out because one thing that, that Lynch's film fell victim to was just long exposition dumps that were inside someone's head that they just, you heard it was an internal monologue in the film, which is internal monologues just are inherently hard to do. well. Um, Versus this film, though, you you know, they gave us what we needed to understand the motivation, but the characters wore those motivations, those emotions on their face with the acting and the way they would sort of position things. So I think that's a great call out. Um, I, you know, I agree with everyone around the table. Uh, I, I would say, you know, this movie is being marketed as like the next Star Wars or something. I, I really think it does a good job at being the intersection between. So a Star Wars, a Lord of the Rings, and a Game of Thrones. You've got the politicking of the Game of Thrones. You've got the scope of Lord of the Rings, but you have just enough of the kind of uh, space opera to feel like it's a Star Wars movie. And obviously, the the sort of hero's journey, um, chosen one, is probably the closest to star Wars. Uh, You know, I, I, I I always feel like Frodo Baggins is a little different, but anyway, like I feel like it's, it's sort of, if you, if you find where all three of those things intersect, you get Dune or something that's pretty close to it. Um, But honestly, I just think it's a, it's a great cinematic experience. Uh, Like Daniel and Dalton said, um, the way that Denis Villeneuve knows how to hold a shot on an environment or a moment, he lets, you know, he's not snappy. He's not, cut into the next thing. The reason the scenes work and you feel the gravitas is because everything feels important. Oh my gosh, this Imperial ship is landing. What is like, what are the the looks on the characters faces where they not even really talking? They, they exchange a couple lines here and there, but you're just in the opening one of the opening scenes. It's very long, very drawn out. There's not a lot of actual conversation, but you just feel the, the pressure uh, being put on house Atreus. You, you, you feel the importance of uh, this task they've accepted, for example. Um, but overall, I, I feel like it's uh it's a four and a half star movie out of five. Uh, I do feel and we're gonna get into it here in a bit more in a second, but I do feel like the ending is somewhat abrupt. Uh not not as bad as maybe like, you know, Deathly Hallows part one abrupt. Pretty close, but um, because I do feel like uh, you know, Paul Atreus does have an arc. His arc does feel like it's hitting a point a, a like checkpoint that feels uh, like an appropriate stopping point spot. But just from like a plot momentum, it it feels kind of weird because I, I did feel like the the third act was probably the one that I struggled with the most in terms of pacing it, particularly the second time. Uh, Cause uh, one of the benefits of the accessibility is I watched it in the big screen and then watched it again at home uh, two days later, uh, which is kind of nice. Um, but no, I think this is a triumph of cinema. Like we are currently living in a reality where uh, about to sound like Marty Scorsese here where <laughs> superhero movies are taking over. But I mean, b- b- the reality is superhero movies are what make money. They're the only things that are especially post pandemic seem to be bringing in the crowds. So uh, it's exciting to see that Warner Brothers, uh, a, uh, back to this, this movie after Blade Runner 2049, another movie I loved that didn't make a ton of money, um, and believed in it enough for us to have, uh, a complete picture that is clearly a passion project Uh, from Denis Villeneuve, uh, and it shows through all the details. Um, So that said, uh, it's a great movie. Uh, Now, of course, uh, let's hone in on this part one, part two thing, because I do think it's really important for people to know, if they haven't seen the film yet, that this is part one. Uh, So without being specific about the ending, I do just want to get you guys' take uh, from around the table. Do you think this is a complete story? Say part two. Bless the Movie Gods got greenlit two days ago. Uh, But when this movie released on Friday, we didn't know that. So do you think if we had never gotten part two, this would have worked as a standalone movie? And Dalton, we'll start with you. I think we were always going to get a part two. That feels like a Warner Brothers marketing thing to get people out to theaters.
3: Thank you.
1: (laughs) No, I mean, it's just so big. It's so much movie. He built so much shit.
3: Look at all this movie.
1: Yeah, and that's exactly <laughs> it. I, I feel like there's no way. Now, it would have been funny? Yeah. Oh, my God. It would have been so funny. As much as it would have made me sad, it would have been <laughs> cosmically funny in a, just a weird and sad way. Um, I, I don't know. Yeah, I feel like this this buttons up Paul Atreides' story. At the at the very least, it is a an ending without spoiling anything. Um, we are approaching is a time jump in the novel, um, and so just from a Structural standpoint, I think it makes sense to go ahead and take a break before that happens um, I ending your movie on the line. This is only the beginning is a big swing. Yeah, and I think that, that is cool and I like it <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Just, uh, just don't put
3: that line in your trailers.
1: Y- yeah, come on well, well, that's, so Caleb you've alluded to this Did any of you not know that this was a part one of part two? I've
3: started I, assumed it was, I mean, but I, knew, I read the yeah, okay. you know, just knowing okay. that novel.
0: I knew this was part one of part two my girlfriend Lauren did not know this. My brother-in-law who has been hyping this movie for over a year did not know okay, this. Okay, so this but is it,
1: just news to me that I'm finding out that no, this was not common knowledge. No, it okay. was
0: like there were there were people who aren't constantly reading movie news I all forget the time this. who yeah. did not know that this was like uh, part one of part two uh, my brother-in-law sends me a text. He's like I had no idea He's like I, he's like I got two hours into the movie and was like how are they gonna get to the rest of this in 40 minutes? Like he, mm. gotcha, he legit, gotcha, you know, okay, so um, and Good I've it. talked to some other people, you know Um at work and and they're saying gotcha. like oh, I just didn't know
1: yeah flashing up that part one at the start of the movie is huge yeah. I think that does the movie a lot of favors
0: so, so speaking, though, I mean, you, you raise the, sort of the, the possibility that this was all a marketing ploy for, by Warner Brothers. Wouldn't surprise me, but it just feels like mostly most of my my doubt came from Blade Runner 2049 sure. not performing super well. Uh, a movie that I loved. Uh, that. Well, as I understand it, that had a lot to do with why they wouldn't green light 2 right up top. Right, That's, that's that the narrative. The whole thing. Yeah. OK. Yeah. So so originally, so for some context here, um, we'll get back to takes around the table. So Denny Villeneuve pitched to them filming back to back. Lord of the Rings or the Matrix sequel style, uh, and then releasing them, you know, two years like a year apart or whatnot, uh, and then Warner Brothers after Blade Runner twenty forty nine tanked, uh, they were like, uh, "What if you just did the first one, and we'll see how it does." Well, and I've heard him saying now that he's
1: glad they didn't go back to back. Uh, yeah, I've heard him say like that it was just been too much movie.
0: Yeah, and he he described it as it allowed him to focus and hone in on getting this one right. That makes sense. Yeah. So I don't think it's for the word. I mean, we're getting a part two. Maybe it was a marketing ploy, though. I've heard uh, something worth considering. Joe, does it work on its own? You haven't seen... You don't know the novel. uh, Um,
2: As it's on on a movie? uh, As a movie, rather? um, I mean, it gets to a point where the movie is a certain length, where you expect it to end. (laughs) And I think that the point that it does end is... Natural for me, having gone in knowing this is part one of two. um, If you didn't know that, I really would be interested to know how you felt at the end of the movie, I guess. I just didn't even consider that that was, uh, again, maybe a perspective that you go in with. But it's so much story and it's so much movie that I don't know. It's two and a half hours over that and, and going in and getting to that point and then ending where it does. Um, yeah, I don't know how I would feel if I didn't know if there was a part two. Um, I do feel knowing that there, were, there there is a part two and now that we're getting it, um, I do feel that it ends in an organic spot. And I think that in terms of Paul's journey, it makes sense. Um, but yeah, I don't know how I would feel if I hadn't known that there's a part two. I feel like Maybe I would feel a little cheated. I don't know. That's really interesting. I, I have never really thought of that. <laughs> I just
0: I just wonder why they didn't market it that way. Yeah. You know, maybe it's because they maybe that was part of the whole marketing tactic to get people out, like this might be the only Dune you get yeah, sort of thing.
2: I feel like the marketing is really interesting too, because I've seen people who have pointed out that Zendaya's involvement is so minimal. I think she's in the film for like seven minutes, but they really, really push her as integral to this film and she is not so (laughs) I don't know how people feel who are not like really involved in either like film news like you said or or just like reading about the universe so it's Mm. yeah I don't know it's I don't know if I would feel cheated or surprised but I'm happy with where it ended As if you were in that that world.
1: Very curious how high school students going to see Dune feel coming out of it. Yeah. Truly want to get the Zoomer takes.
0: (laughs) Zoomers, you can send us your takes, uh, thecinematropolis at gmail.com. But actually, that's not a very Zoomer way to contact us. You can also just tweet at us in a video uh, at Cinematropolis on uh, Twitter. Because do Zoomers use email? Whip us
1: up a TikTok. That feels feels like phone calls for them, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm out of touch,
3: (laughs) man. I don't know. I don't know. Phone calls? What the fuck is that? Daniel, <laughs> Daniel, bring this home here. Did you feel like this worked as a, a complete film? I'm going to dig into one of my criticisms a little bit um, to do that. First of all, uh, I think it was really good, but like I have the background of the novel, and the novel does present a very logical stopping point. I also think one of the biggest red well, not red flags, but criticisms of Lynch's novel is that it tries to encapsulate the entirety of Dune the entirety of dune is a like 5 hour movie or 6 hour movie or a television series or whatever it's not it's not you ju- I'm not going to say you can't um we've got a lot of timeline left for somebody to make a more succinct Zune. maybe there'll be a 25 minute dune who knows but um it yeah it i think it it, it does it really you know well enough it it, it concludes at a logical place but to Joe's point, Zendaya Chani is a part of it, but she's she's very minor. I think Zendaya was like on set for like seven days, if I heard heard correctly. I mean on set. She does do some narration throughout the film. Uh, I think maybe just at the start though. That's yeah, just just, just, yeah, yeah, just at the start. That prologue, so. Yeah. yeah. So that um and it doesn't have to be like that. the the, the one this film, and this is a Criticism that I'd, I'd say very lightly because it's a very fine line between maybe ruining an adaptation and, and doing something very experimental and interesting in this film does not narratively deviate um, very much. It does things. Yeah. To make you're, it. You're absolutely right. It kind of yeah.
1: it moves some things around. But overall, it's pretty. Yeah, yeah it's pretty straightforward. Yeah, and and it does the, the highlights.
3: Right. And it does things cr- um, creatively succinct. Explaining sure. mentats. Does it like so, almost entirely visually and I, so well. So
1: well. Yes. There's so, so much weird and obtuse shit in Dune. I try to explain Dune to my wife and it, shit. My, my buddy Alex Sanchez has been making this joke that uh, this has been a big week for the wives and girlfriends of Dune fans. Uh, <laughs> I try to explain it and like got very lost in my own bullshit. And, and then watching the movie, it's like, oh yeah, there's so much stuff you don't really
3: need no. to understand like what's cool about Dune. Mentats are explained in like six seconds. Yeah, it's beautiful. And it's entirely visual. And it's it's incredible, so that's good. Um, but I do think there's an opportunity for experimentation. I think in the fact that you're going to illustrate, um, and we'll get the, into this a little bit more. But like visions and prophecies and dreams, there's an opportunity to explore characters in that way. Mm. I mean, Zendaya is featured in that, but it's all kind of a, a nothing. It's like a few second clips, and I think there might be an opportunity to expand upon that, especially since prophecy is such a critical.
1: Dune's weird. Yeah. Dune is druggy. Dune is trippy. And I'm sure that there's a lot of that. And I know that there's more of that to come right. uh, based on story to be told, but I'm with you that I feel like there could have been more uh, weaving that those elements into the film. Although, you know, again, we don't know. We're, we're judging half of a movie at we this are. point. So y- it's yeah, hard to say.
3: exactly. And we'll keep that in mind,
1: but, but I am with you that I, I think that there is a, I don't know. I, I feel like there's something missing with that element of the film. Absolutely.
3: So I think of some of my favorite adaptations and I think of like what, Ridley Scott's Blade Runner did for Philip K. Dick's do androids dream of electric sheep. That is a really like, that is an enhancement of the original story. Ultimately, I think, Uh, I think the same, we were talking um, briefly for the podcast about Alex Garland's annihilation, what it did for Jeff Vandermeer's novel. I mean, both of them are exceptional in their own unique ways. That is more of an impression of a novel um, rather than like a, I mean, it's technically an adaptation, but um, and I think, you know, there may have been an opportunity for that with Dune. That being said, that's, that's a really fine line and it's hard creatively or as an artist to try and define when it's appropriate to deviate and when not to, when creating this, which Dune, I would argue it might be a lot more closer to people's hearts than, you know, something like do Androids dream of electric sheep Um, or maybe even annihilation as well. Definitely. I mean, it's one of the most popular science fiction anything novel, but, but, but really any piece of like uh, intellectual property ever. So with that in mind, yes, it still works. I, I do kind of feel almost bad for someone who's not familiar enough with the novel to know that there's like this very clear stopping point um, to where you could at least wrap up temporarily the story. Um, but does it, does it work okay? Yeah, I think it does.
2: Can I ask really quickly, do you think that it work would have worked better as a series?
3: I wonder that there's a lot of things like, I think of like Cormac McCarthy's blood meridian. Um, and I don't want to bring up James Franco too much, even though he's trying to adapt it. Thankfully, um, he probably never will. Um, but I, I, I do think, yeah, I I actually think so. But then again, like as a series, would it have Oscar Isaac would it have Dave Batista would it have Timothy would worm Shalme? be so big would it, yeah <laughs> would worm be large enough yeah probably yeah. not I would not be satisfied with the size of that worm I need I need It'd I need jumbos big, big worm boy I need big worm boys <laughs> yeah I need <laughs> I <get you>. yeah. <laughs> so yeah um so but I mean it, in, in a world where none of that matters we could have like the same cast because the other thing is that just the casting is great like well, if we could have all that a television series yeah mm. absolutely
2: and say. can I say, Almost everyone in that cast is so attractive, so true. Oh yeah, That's,
3: there's there's <laughs> a, a lot there's a lot of hotness.
2: Oh yeah, a
1: lot of hot people put in a lot of hot costumes. Yes. honestly, yes. Come on,
3: <laughs> honestly, even Stellan Starsgard, he. <laughs> yeah, no, he's thick. he fits.
2: I love that man. Right. I love that character. I love his little floating thing going on. I I I think I told my husband I was like I would be that character. Like I love him. <laughs> it's
1: like to float around mysteriously. Yeah. It's pretty cool. <laughs> the Baron is cool. I like the, I like a lot of choices I made with the Baron. The, yeah, there is a critical one. There's a critical when one. When we get into the spoiler one, that, there's one that's like, sure. But it could have been extremely fat phobic, and I don't think it yeah. comes across that way at all. No. Like, no. He just comes across as big mm. and scary. It's overindulgent, you know, Yeah, yeah. A, a little bit sure, but like it doesn't get, I don't know. There's such a fine line you're walking. If you're going to play in that sort of very well-trod trope. And right. I don't think v- it
3: does. Villeneuve understands that evil doesn't need to be gratuitous. Like yeah, you can, yeah. you know, right. So,
0: uh, one of the, the big differences, uh, between this and the, uh, David Lynch film, I would say actually the approaches to the Baron. Sure. Yeah, yeah. definitely much more over the top and theatrical. And mm-hmm. yeah, uh, OK, well, I, I think, you know, I feel better. I'm, I'm actually going to be a lot less critical on the ending uh, because I know we're getting part two. My whole thing was like, oh, my God, if this is it, 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 it makes logical sense, but it feels a little abrupt. Um, that said, I'm excited to see where we're going next. Now, um, we're going to jump into the spoilers. We have a few different themes and we're just going to talk, uh, talk about, take a little deeper dive into. But before we get there um firstly is there anything else uh we mentioned the cast is there anything else uh as a review spoiler free review that you would like to mention for listeners today about uh, doom part one can i just say some
1: images that are cool yes uh the the Sard- slow fall what just yes. a haunting thing to mm-hmm. see just cool yeah. um the the gurney Halleck led charge with the exploding ships like hitting the ground and like you see steel buckle like it hmm. it feels so tactile and real like and that's, again, I feel like one of the big strengths of this movie is nothing feels too effectsy. Things feel, you know, they're using a lot of miniatures and bigatures, and like you feel that tactile element on screen.
0: Yeah, uh, it's the perfect, and I think Christopher Nolan said this at some point this week, I think somewhere, it's like the perfect marriage between practical effects. And the CG, yeah, like great the stuff. CG, yeah. all will make stuff like the the shields, like the, yeah, such a low
1: key. The, the thing The worm is a completely mm-hmm. visual effect, and it looks great. Mm-hmm. So like, it just yeah, it's a very judicious use of of special effects, and remembering like what they're good at and what they're not good at. Mm-hmm. Um, I was with uh, the the entire ceremony of handing the planet Arrakis over to the House Atreides, like that
0: just is full of cool costumes and
2: and the bagpipes. Oh, the oh yes, say so so slap.
0: 100% uh, more bagpipes in this film than yes. I expected. Yeah. It was great. We love it. I, I also just, and I know this is inherent to the novel, but just seeing a, a film in which you're in a quote-unquote futuristic sci-fi universe where everyone's using swords to fight. It's cool. It's awesome. I thought it was great. Love it. Uh, every time Jason Momoa's on the screen, he's not there a lot, but when he is, very good use of uh, both his charm and his uh, physical, uh, his ability to, I don't know, kill focus? I don't know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. just absolutely <laughs> murk people. Yeah, sure.
3: <laughs> I do want to add, uh, I don't have, um, much to add, but, but to parlay off of Dalton, the, as far as images are concerned that are, are still relatively spoiler free. There is a shot that involves the Baron mm. and he's entirely out of focus. Yeah. And he's like this, just this, basically this like faceless shape and he never comes properly into focus, I think within that shot, but That's he's, his first scene, right? Where he's no, he no, 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 okay. later. He's, um, and I, again, I don't want to spoil sure, 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 it. So, um, but he, he's basically, he's, well, this doesn't spoil it. He is floating across a long table.
1: Gotcha. Okay.
3: And, um, that, that he's entirely out of focus the entire time, but it's just this amorphous ominous shape coming basically towards you. And that image just sticks with me. Almost more than any other other image I can think of in Dune, mm. um, save a few we'll get to. But uh, yeah, again, this,
2: uh, yeah.
3: he's just so good.
2: That's why he's my boyfriend.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> 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 again, I just think I just think Denis Villeneuve totally understands the power of lingering on it, like setting up a cool shot and exactly. letting it just like go. Oh and yeah, not, not not cutting around and stuff. Ah, so great. Joe, anything anything else you want to add?
2: I think that the the one moment that's really sticking out to me. I think that. Someone touched on it already It's just like the arrival on Arrakis and like the beat that it takes with the ship door opening and the light hitting them and the wind hitting them. Mm. It's so, as you said, I think tactile and you really feel it and you feel the weight of that moment. I think that those are the beats that really landed with me the most where it's like you feel the importance of the thing that they're doing and why it matters to them as a family and to the story. So I, I really appreciated those kind of moments because I I, I think that most other film, like filmmakers would kind of gloss over that and it would move through it and it wouldn't be like a beat like that in, in a story like this.
0: Right. No, I, I think I think you hit the nail on the head there because uh, bringing it back to the cast, the, the other thing I would add there, and it relates to what you just described, is the fact that, they're able to quickly establish extremely believable relationships very mm-hmm. shorthand, very quickly. Like, I believe, you know, um, Paul Atreus and Leto Atreus of that relationship in one scene. Mm-hmm. You just really feel it, you know? You know what you're making me think of right now is uh, Seven Samurai,
1: the way Kurosawa mm-hmm. so just like this. Mm-hmm. It's got a huge cast it yep. has to get through, and each scene, like, Ugh. so quickly and economically establishes who each person is. And I think Dune manages to do that. This is a big cast. Yeah, there's a lot of characters to like explain, and it mm-hmm. does so so judiciously. I, it's, it's wild.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, listeners, of, of course, that's going to bring us to our grade uh, of the film. Um, I've moved away from just for listeners who've been tuning in for a while. We moved away, we're moving away from the how would you watch it stream theatrical because uh, post pandemic it's a lot more complicated. So we're going to give this uh, a rating of an A B C D uh, F scale. Uh, so Daniel boat I'll start with you. What letter grade would you give Dune part one?
3: Uh, um, I think B with the caveat that knowing part two is eventually coming, it may appreciate a little bit somewhat similar. I've, I've seen this discussion to, um, you know, the fellowship of the ring that, that film I think gets a little bit better, um, as a part of a series. So okay. I, I do think this has the opportunity to appreciate it. Um, so again, I, I'm thinking a solid B with, an asterisk. Um, I will say, is it Villeneuve's best film? No. That's that's a rival, I think, pretty clearly. Um, is it one of his best? Interesting. Do you I will say a, okay, I'm a twenty
1: okay. I'm a twenty forty-nine guy.
3: I that's what I was gonna say the second best. Um maybe between you know, Dune part one and Blade Runner 2049. Sure. And I'm still chewing on Blade Runner 2049. I I, I have not I don't even know if I'd be comfortable giving it a letter grade so much. So, but I do think Arrival maybe is just a, a, a tad better. I feel more. Um, I feel like that film resonated with me a bit more. I should sure. say.
0: I think they're both great for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, th- that's this is where the power of the uh, the IP comes in, and you're like, but I love Blade Runner, so I that's like I like Twenty Four Nine just right. that much better, just <laughs> because I have the history with it. Because Arrival, I think, is a masterpiece, absolutely. Yeah. So that's a whole other discussion. We can also name off our favorite uh, Denis Villeneuve films because, in my opinion, he hasn't made a bad film yet, at least not that I've seen. No. Uh, Dalton Stewart, what letter grade would you give Doom Part One?
1: Yeah. I, I if, similarly to dan i feel feel like it's fair to kind of give give its grades with caveats just because there is a whole second half of this movie coming but yeah like a b plus feels strong the cinema score was an a minus i feel like audiences pretty much got it right like there's a lot to like about this movie and uh i the things that there are to quibble about with it are like minor or to be seen if we got to be mad at the movie right like because we could we it could depreciate as well as, as easily as it could appreciate but i i suspect if Uh, the bar that's been set by this first movie is matched by the second movie. I'm sure we'll be talking about both of them for years to come. Yeah.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Joe?
2: I think I would give it an A just based on those, the time, those beats that he gave it. Even just like the close-ups on like that, um, that Longhorn steer head, Mm. (laughs) like just those small moments that didn't have to be in the movie that are in the movie to give a little bit of humanity to everything that's going on. And, and just, again, I think the scope of it is so beautiful. The score is beautiful. I think the performances are beautiful. And as someone coming into it not having read the novel, I think that I can appreciate a lot of what it's trying to do from, from an adaptation standpoint as well as a filmmaking standpoint. Just it's so impressive and it's so big and it's so beautiful. That I think it's it's going to be one of the big sci fi movies that we continue to talk about for mm. years to come, for sure. Oh
0: yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say I am aligned with Joe. I'd give this an A. I mean, I, again, I, I felt like the ending was a little abrupt, but like the thing is, I, I felt like the the movie was like such an A plus plus mm. an A plus plus in most every other area. The, the cast, the visuals, the filmmaking, the attention to detail, uh, the way they are able to immerse uh, immerse the audience in the in the world, uh, just it's something that I feel like only comes around every, I don't know, five or six years where you just feel like you're seeing something that you've never seen before. I want to go home. And you may never see it again. I want to go home and watch it again right now. Exactly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you guys didn't know the, the post-watch party? It was after this? At two oh, hours? Okay. We got it. Dune <laughs> from the top. <laughs> but, uh, and, and that's the sort of thing. Like, like I, I really do think this movie, you know, imagine if we'd only gotten Fellowship of the Ring part one. Fellowship of the Ring was still like an unbelievable film that you're like, how did this get made? And I feel like this is in that same vein. I don't know if it's the strongest blader in a 2049, but that movie is just a very special Mm. uh, movie. And maybe uh, with part the arrival of part two, I'll feel a little differently. Oh, I'm perfectly prepared for uh, part two to be my favorite movie I've ever seen. Sure. Yeah, I'm, hmm. I'm ready. Well, and, and, and again, to what you guys said, maybe part having that part two there will only enhance part one that much well, more. Yeah. And
3: yeah. I, I will say, yeah, and, and Dalton mentioned something that made me think of something. If, if part two is even just as good as this one, they both will be better. Yeah. Like, I, you I, I can it. say that with confidence. All
0: right. All right. Uh, so uh, listeners go see this movie uh, and whatever means you feel comfortable or can, uh, <laughs> if it's streaming, give them that stream play. Uh, if it's in the theater, give them that box office money. Um, and just to close up before we hit the spoilers, uh, we got a two year wait. They didn't announce the sequel is coming out in two years, which is actually faster than I expected. Not going to lie. Uh, but uh, Villeneuve is sitting on a script. He says, I'm ready to go. Somehow they're going to figure out how to get all those actors back in the desert uh, in time to make a movie. Uh, so, in the meantime, while we're waiting, what uh, alternate movie, television show, novel, video game, or other media recommendation would you give to our listeners uh, who do enjoy Dune and want more of that sort of uh, content? Joe, we'll start with you.
2: Oh man, I think we've already kind of touched on it. Um, Arrival, as we've all, I think we've all said, mm. is a masterpiece. Um, I would say approach it in the with the mindset of when it came out, which is 2016, which is a very difficult time for a lot of people, <laughs> um, but it's a beautiful film. It's a film about like cooperation and um, worldwide harmony, um, but it's also just a really good story. And then I think Daniel mentioned 2001. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm obsessed with 2001. It's such a great, expansive sci-fi story, beautiful man versus machine, Um I think those would be my main two. Those are two of my favorite movies, I think of all time. So I would definitely point people to those.
0: Great recommendation. Oh, one thing, 2001, the word I was looking for earlier, you know what Dune has in common with 2001 majesty. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like that, just, you feel like you're in awe of like something spiritual. That's how big it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dalton Stewart, what would you recommend? I I think this movie is an excellent uh,
1: commercial for Frank Herbert's Dune. Go read Dune. It's Mm -hmm. cool. If you like that, you should check out Dune Messiah. It's just people arguing about what Dune's about. It rules. (laughs) If you ever read like if you've ever come to the end of some big portentous work of fiction and thought to yourself, "Man, I'd love to just read about people arguing (laughs) about what just happened," that's Dune Messiah. It kicks ass. I know it sounds like I'm being sarcastic, but like it's it's there's something really cool about a. A novel that just says, "Hey, I know the last thing we did is full of themes. Let's talk about them because <laughs> um, I want you to make sure. I, I want to make sure you're not missing the point, which is that messiahs are bad and you can't trust them. <laughs> That's a wild premise to have. Period. Uh, and to the dedicate an entire book to it, I think is great. So yeah, if you, if you dug this movie, you got two years, man. Like, get in. It's it's wild. It's good. It, 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 this is the, this is only the beginning, as Chani tells us. I the Dune is weird." Uh, in ways that are sometimes gross. You know, It's he's a guy in the 60s. What are you going to do? Uh, you know, there's not all of it's aged perfectly, but there is some big, big
0: ideas, and uh, a lot of them are really interesting. Very cool. So just go out and read Dune. I
3: think that's a great recommendation. Daniel Bokemper. Yeah, so uh, Joe and Dalton. Uh, Snag tuman <laughs> recommendation. That's okay. I, I have more. Um, I think for just a film... Uh, And I do agree, by the way, both of you, those are incredible recommendations, but um, Nausicaä and the Valley of the Wind. Oh, yeah. 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 I think that one uh, lines up pretty well with this in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, And it's animated. So that's different. Um, I'll skip to video games. So there's two that stick out in my mind. If you like the beauty of uh, Arrakis, if you like the cinematography of Villeneuve, I think Journey on Mm. perhaps, what is it like? PlayStation. 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 It's on all the yeah. PlayStations. It, yeah, yeah, it's on... I have it on... Three, four, PC. five. And it's on... Oh, it's on, PC, it's on PC, too. too yeah. So you can... Yeah, and, and I know they've upscaled it to, like, 4K and stuff. So you can get a very beautiful experience that way. If you if you just like roaming around the desert. Um, and then, I will say, if you're more into the crazy space opera, anything can happen, wild creatures, this is so far out of our timeline. And also, um, I think a derivative of Dune, it would be... Um, warhammer 40k sure. dawn of war 2 uh for strategy guys specifically most of the warhammer 40k games are not very good um that one is an exception That whole um, universe
1: feels indebted to it in dune
3: it is way. it absolutely yeah. is yes and that's and that's what i'm getting at but um and if uh everyone's playing like back for blood right now and they still haven't gotten their um four-player cooperative first-person shooter fix uh the developers of Vermintide are coming out with dark tide the um, Warhammer 40 K inspired for player cooperative first person shooter thing. I'm sure there's a, a specific genre for whatever I'm describing, but that, um, that's coming out soon. So if you're not, uh, completely burnt out by, um, playing games with your friends, um, after back blood, maybe Vermintide will, uh, will, uh, still be, you know, something to, to dig into. And it's also kind of, you know, again, owes was a lot to Dune.
0: Excellent. Yeah, I I love the gaming recommendations. I'm going to start with a television show. Uh, If you uh, have Apple TV Plus, you should absolutely be watching the Foundation TV show. It's not always a home run, but it is very similar to this very big and ambitious. Again, not every. It's yet to be determined whether or not it's going to be a home run, but uh, adapting a very dense, uh, dense, sprawling foundational but um, novel of science fiction for the screen. It's a challenge, and so far, I'm more compelled than I'm not. And it's got Oklahoma's very own Lee Pace. That's right. He's from Oklahoma. Thank you for knowing that. Not many people know that. Oh, I I know all the ones that are.
2: Lee Pace. Oh, my gosh. And also, someone who I recently uh, was called prestige TV daddy, Jared Harris. One of my favorites. He's so
0: good. good. (laughs) He's so good in everything. Yes. Uh, So, excellent. If if nothing else, you're going to walk away with, excellent production values and a plus acting and so far pretty solid writing again i'm, I'm just interested to see how this is going to pay off uh so check it out apple tv plus and also by the way apple tv plus is only five dollars and uh I, initially i was a little skeptical but we've we've, we've got that is i know it only I, $5? it's only five dollars five dollars a month wow. and i they, steal it so i, I wouldn't. oh know. it's okay yeah I mean, if you can steal it i mean you should they don't need your Apple, money. Apple, please don't the take my podcast. They're uh, the most successful
1: corporation in the history of corporations. They don't need your money. <laughs>
0: uh, please don't take my podcast. Don't take. We
2: did not say anything. Yeah, of
0: you this. can take my podcast. <laughs> don't touch Caleb's. He didn't say anything mean. Uh, but no, no. But seriously, yes. If you can, if you can. You know, get access to it without having to pay for it. That's great. But there's also um, Mythic Quest, which I really enjoy. And then I, I know everyone's all about the the other show with the mustache man uh, played by J- uh, Jason Sudeikis. So, you know, <laughs> he who not should not be named. Uh, everyone's all about that show, too. But anyway, I would say of the things you can watch on Apple TV Plus uh, Foundation, very much in the same sort of vein of Dune uh, for film. You guys have already said all the great ones. So I'm just going to throw out Tremors, the original, because it's lots of fun. It's got giant Worms. Come on, Worms is big. Got Kevin Bacon, Worms. Come on. And lastly, video game wise, I'd say uh, another franchise that is deeply indebted uh, to Dune, uh, Starcraft. Uh, probably my favorite real-time strategy. Uh, very, very good game, especially Starcraft, Starcraft Two. If you can ignore the fact that Blizzard published it, uh, you know it's a great game. Very indebted to Dune. So, those would be my recommendations. All right, listeners, so with all that said, we're going to go ahead and get into a spoiler-filled discussion where we're going to talk about some of these uh, themes that are uh, present uh, largely in this film, but also uh, in the novel as well. So if you do not want to be spoiled on Doom Part 1, go ahead and tune out now. You just my mother in her own house.
1: Come here, Neil.
0: How dare you use the voice on me. But I have a few different topics I wanted to just throw at the table and see what you guys thought, uh, because obviously doing the Novel has all sorts of very influential uh, ideas uh, that have actually been borrowed or stolen in multiple other science fiction films, television, you name it. Uh, we mentioned several of them in our recommendation section. So I think a question I have frequently is what, what can this film do differently or better than the other? Other films that have been made since the novel came out that were influenced by the novel. And on that note, I want to start us off with topic one, uh, which is just taking a look at how this film portrays uh, the ecology and the environmentalism. Uh, Now, of course, the the 1965 novel uh, is considered one of the forerunners of uh, environmentalist science fiction. Uh, So question I'll start with you uh, Daniel on this one. How does this film speak specifically uh, to these same ideas with more modern sensibilities than perhaps the original novel? Uh, You wrote a great piece on the website listeners can check that out at the
3: cinematropolis.com. What do you think? Yeah. And because I want people to read that essay, I won't get too in depth into that. But um, in that same vein, I think it not to say it couldn't do more, but I think it does do enough. Um, It has a very steep challenge. Um, I've mentioned we are in a post Wally world. Um, So it it can be kind of hard to do something I think new and imaginative um, with that, with uh, when you're discussing ecology, you know, Frank Herbert, 1965, there wasn't too much science fiction that was, um, you know, tackling that subject, if any, that I can remember. Um, I do point out specific examples in my essay i do think you know the the interpretation of the baron in this film and you know him literally like steeped in in pitch black oil um is is a very telling image without you know like literally saying something i think the reimagining of Liet Kynes is um is a very um you know very important distinction i think it does kind of enhance the original message um i think maybe it helps um that 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 ecologist uh, ecologist plea uh, to resonate both a bit more. And then I think there are more overt things um, like in Arrakis, the design of Arrakis itself. We move from muted colors, but then you also have the the twinkling or the the, the spice twinkling expanse that is Arrakis. And I think Villeneuve is really good at like uh, switching between um, the exhausted Arrakis and the bountiful Arrakis um, pretty much seamlessly. I also think the worms themselves um, it's a subtle redesign, but we don't have the protruding, tri mandibles. We've got what looks like to me, um, kind of an inquisitive eye.
1: You, you're definitely not alone. I've seen a couple no. of people make that that point. That there's there's a moment in the film where it feels like the worm is is watching. Yes,
3: yes, and that I think is very telling when you have an aspect a a paragon of the environment, literally staring you down. Yeah, and you are the you know representative of. Basically, what's killing that planet? So, um, yeah, to say that I think I think it does without saying much again. Are there things it could have done? Um, of course, but I think for now, I, I think this is the modern Dune, and I think it does and protects the ecologist plea of the original.
0: Uh, thoughts from around the table. Anyone have anything they want to add uh, about the ecology? Uh, I think all of my thoughts are more relevant
1: to the, the next thing you want to ask us about. But I, I do want to say there's a fun moment where, you know, Paul is in awe and wonder, you know, the Spacing Guild and the Lion's at, and all these important uh, hooblas are, are coming to their planet. And all uh, Duke later can think about is ah, how much money this costs. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's that's a really fun, small moment where it, the, the practicality of this person who, knows that they're being sent to a planet that exists only to further his government's, uh, excess is, uh, you know, it's telling about Lito's character and about what the movie thinks is important for sure. Yeah. Joe, anything you want to add to that?
2: I think the, the angle that I would come at it from is sort of looking at it from that white savior perspective, um, which I'm sure has been addressed, uh, multiple times in many different outlets, but, um, I think it's very telling that there's like an indigenous popla- population, excuse me, um, and then this person coming in as an outsider who is prophesied to be their savior. Um, and again, kind of coming at it not having read this source material in, in depth. Um, I don't know. I think it's an interesting thing to address within our current environment so I, I and again i don't really have the insight to talk about that in depth but i do think that it's pretty explicit in how it's addressed in the movie that the indigenous population is largely people of color and then we have this like small victorian frail child coming in and being like i'm your savior so i don't know if there's something to address there
1: oh i think there absolutely is yeah. oh yeah and i think a yeah. lot hangs on how dune part two like deals with that large central question and i think the I, the novel like really gets into that but you're, you're absolutely right the movie makes some gestures towards it for sure but i think mm. a lot hangs on how the the second half of this like addresses those issues mm. because so many so many tropes uh, are deployed within dune and i think well but I, I think it also inspired a lot of people to deploy them not so great over the you know the next 50 years or so mm.
0: Absolutely, and I I think we are going to get really in the weeds in the the next topic uh, addressing uh, imperialism, the white savior narratives, because I do think that is, I even in this film where we ha- I don't I don't feel like the the arc is complete. The mm-hmm. the movie is definitely hinting at certain things. Um, the only thing I would say just about the the uh, ecological perspective is just I do think Joe you're you're spot on about the timing. Um, you know whatever David Lynch made his Dune. Uh, I'm sure the message was resonated or did not resonate the way it did based on the current, like, uh, I don't like puns, the climate around the conversation, uh, Mm. uh, you know, of the environments and industrialism and and, and things of that nature. Uh, I do think that, you know, we are definitely at a a point in our own world. Again, I'm not an expert on, you know, the environment, but it is I think it was uh, described like climate change was described as a uh, national security threat this week. Mm. Um, So like, it's certainly something that's top of mind. I think this movie does a really good job at highlighting how the, in order for the dark, stormy, awful uh, Imperial planet to survive and and thrive so they can build their armies. There has to be this other planet that suffers. Uh, But I do think it's going to take us really into topic number two, which is the one that I, I definitely think, Somewhat hinges on part two, but there's a lot of really rich ideas here about mm-hmm. this idea of Western imperialism and uh, the politics of the spice, the white savior narrative. Uh, because this film opens uh, with uh, a little bit of uh, monologuing, and it's not from Timothy Chalmay, uh it's from Zendaya's Shani, uh, where she, she asks the question, Who will be our next oppressor? Cut to <laughs> Timmy Tay. That's right.
1: Which I think is such a great way to open the movie Mm -hmm. such a fabulous way to like tell you so much about what this movie thinks it's saying
0: which Mm -hmm. I think is cool so I guess the thing I would say here and I'll I'll open up the table is this movie really as I see it is playing into the tropes of sort of the hero's journey but it very subtly that being one example is sort of hinting at the fallibility of our hero. Mm-hmm. Um, also, like, the way the prophecies are framed are not good. Like, he, like it's he, bad. It's not like like him being a badass emperor looks wo- ominous, not, like, heroic, mm-hmm. um, which I, th- I think there's something to be said about What that if becoming well. Luke Skywalker was
1: actually the worst thing that could possibly happen to you? Mm. Yes.
0: Yeah. yeah. And he's, like, afraid of it initially yeah. but
1: before, you know, the, the movie. Somebody please help me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's I I don't mean to jump ahead too much, but this is like such a pivotal scene in the movie is the the spice visions in the tent with uh, Lady Jessica uh, and Paul. Mm. It's so much of what this movie has to say about these narratives is in that that moment. Right. Is is in in that moment where he sees the future being laid out before him and it's terrible. It's bad. It is no good. It's a holy war that with no end. Mm-hmm. um and, and it's it's good that our main character like sees that and knows it is bad and knows that this is like the worst possible outcome uh but, yet, but that's what happens when you cultivate desert power but
0: yet he embraces it by the end of the film does he Well, and i
1: think that's he lean,
0: he leans into yeah, it
1: yeah and that's you know. yeah and we'll we'll see how they they choose to handle a lot of other things but it is interesting that at the very least the movie says this is something the protagonist is aware of and is having to deal with and i think that that's a hard thing to do without beating the audience over the head with it. But I yeah. think the movie is pretty successful.
0: Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, but obviously uh, it, this is, I, I see sort of a, the white, you know, savior narrative, this hero's journey and imperialism very closely, intertw- oftentimes are closely intertwined. So in this case, uh, our hero, uh, as Joe already pointed out, is comes from a different planet. He's some white dude goes to a planet that is uh, made up of largely brown people uh, so that they can, his family is tasked with just harnessing their greatest, most valuable resource that is their way of life so that the imperial, uh, I guess, the empire can continue to. I don't It doesn't even seem like it's thriving, surviving like it, it, it seems like it's actually kind of on the cusp of an, a collapse based off how they frame it up. So, I mean, like, what do you guys think about this uh, idea of Western imperialism? Do you think it's handled with a, a good deal of nuance? Do you think it's still an open question by the end of the film?
3: I I don't think it's a very open question. I actually think, um, this, I would almost say the story, but by extension, the film does a really good job at, you know, just because, and again, with the opening question of, of Chani, who will are, uh, who will be our next oppressors the, just because you're nice, just because you're maybe, um, on your surface benevolent, like Leto if you're coming in to do the same thing and Mm -hmm. use the same mechanisms and the same materials and ultimately serve the same purpose as the Harkonnens, you're not different. You, you are the same. It doesn't matter if you're nicer. You're still, you're still exploiting something. And at the same time, um, (laughs) one thing I think is really funny about the film. um, I will say it does a good job of maintaining the skepticism that the, like the, the Fremen, Fremen, the one that, well, I don't want to say the Fremen, Fremen, but the Fremen that are, a little bit more disconnected from the city. The ones that are actually living in Arrakis, despite all being fully aware of this very, very, very specific <laughs> prophecy. That's like kind of clearly pointing towards one person. They're still skeptical of Paul. And the thing is, is you can't, even if you're prophesized to be this leader, if you come in and you are still just exercising your privilege, um, if you are still benefiting from your, this, this empire, this, this kingdom, um, if you have not, relinquish that you really can't be anybody's savior like without without doing that i think or at Mm -hmm. least and i think the fremen are kind of aware of that and i do think this film conveys that idea um very well that that in order to actually do something to enact systemic change you you have to give up something um pretty significant
2: yeah can i say just from like in the out the outsider perspective of not reading the not having read the book um the idea of like the bene Gesserit cultivating that prophecy for political gains over such a long period is so interesting to me.
0: Yeah, it's
1: some of the coolest stuff, right? It's so great. It's
0: It's interesting. They're playing like 40 chess on like a grand... Epic scale. Uh, what's they? We don't get it
1: in in the movie, but uh, the Baron. Actually, no, it's not just the Baron. A couple of characters say, but there's this uh, refrain in the novel: "Plans within plans." Like mm-hmm. everybody's got things within things within things that they're trying to run on each other. And mm-hmm. yeah, you're absolutely that Benny Jesuit stuff. We just like scratch the surface of it in the movie. There's a whole series coming to HBO Max. Hi, it's commercial time. But <laughs> but yeah, if you if that if you found that interesting, I guess we're getting a whole series about it, which yeah. would be cool. I so that, Sisterhood of Dune.
2: That whole like politicization of. Well, religion and prophecy, like you've been talking about, is just like that's a whole other layer that is barely touched upon, like you said. And it's just so fascinating to think about a world being established with outsiders and them saying, like, wait for this guy that's going to appear at any time. And here he is. And it's just so interesting that it's all been fabricated and planned ahead of time. And it's just... I think that's a, such an interesting exploration of religion and um, politics that, that the, mm. the world of this movie barely touches upon.
1: Yeah, what's the line that Paul has? Uh, they believe what they've been told. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's definitely not into this idea that he's been, any, anybody thinks he might be their guy. He's not into it, yeah. which I
0: think is, again, pretty cool. Pretty cool. Begs the question: uh, How many prophecies were just uh, fabricated for political gain? Yeah. Ooh, okay, Daniel, you about to say, say something? No. No.
3: Okay. <laughs> I will say I'm. <laughs> you say what? No. No. Sorry. I I thought we were getting. No. Yeah. Go you're good. Section, uh,
0: but okay. So so I, I do think that there's going to be a lot more to dig into with part two, and this is why it does feel part one in particular does feel like the it 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 really falls into the the tropes. It leans into them with the little sprinkles of the sort of subversions we've talked about. So I'm personally really excited to see how they play it out in, in part two for the film. Um, and Joe, we're going to have to come back in a couple of years and hear what you think about it, too.
2: Oh, I'm very excited.
0: <laughs> um, so I, I also just want to kind of ask the question here. I mean, the uh, the politics portrayed in, in Dune, you know, what, what do you how does this sort of differ from what we've seen in, in star Wars or star Trek or at uh, James Cameron's avatar, for example, I guess James Cameron's avatar has a little bit of politicking in it, right?
3: Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. Um, I think, I think with like the powers that be, I think there's a bit more ceremony involved with it, even though star Wars does have a lot of ceremony, but I think the the dynamic is a lot more, I don't know if it's like traditional, but there's more of a like subservient, you know, these subservient houses that are still trying to like get their own political power and try and, and, and maneuver and navigate the Imperium. But at the same time there is, and in this film, an, a faceless emperor that presides over anything. It's just this omniscient, uh, not really omniscient, but, but you know, for the purpose of this film, it, it, it's just, there is a authority that exists. That's, that's kind of just being and we're we're kind of played within it. I know part two will likely, um, expand on I mean, it kind of has to expand on this, um, I think, a, a quite a bit more significantly. I've seen some concept
1: art of the emperor and they, well, they certainly drew a guy that looks like Charles Dance in his, his <laughs> Ooh. So That's Ooh. all I have to say about that. The hype.
3: Yeah. But as far as politics and maybe even um, some like contemporary political illusions, I, I just want to add this. Baron Harkonnen is like less than Half a degree removed from Dick Cheney, he is (laughs) Space Cheney, Um, and I think the film does a really good job of uh, conveying that.
0: Mm. He made a few words callous. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, I I think I just think the the reason I wanted to call out the, the politicking is because, as we mentioned earlier, like there's so much, so much has been influenced by the Dune. Um, that has been covered in various aspects. But I feel like the politicking we see here is something we don't see, at least in big screen cinema, in this way, uh, to this degree, often. Um, Joe or Dalton, anything you want to add about politics in Dune?
2: I guess I would ask is, do you think that Dune is more cynical than something like Star Wars? Because, again, I, I feel like I see in Dune a sort of nefarious element where in Star Wars it's very pure and like there's good and there's evil and there's not really a lot of politicking going on like Caleb has said. It's it's just, it is what it is and there's no really middle ground whereas in uh, Dune there's all these different influences going on and so much groundwork being laid for the story that we're seeing taking place. Um, I just wonder if there's like a little bit I, I mean, I I think that Dune is definitely more complex than Star Wars. Um, so I'm just interested to hear that perspective, I guess.
1: You know, my first impulse was to say, yeah, it's more cynical. But as I started thinking about it, I, I wonder if maybe it's just more realistic about yeah. the mm-hmm. nature of hu- human history. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it knows that there are good actors and bad actors and people who kind of fall in the middle somewhere. Mm-hmm. And it, it it accepts that history is nebulous and ever changing and kind of
3: hard to get pinpointed
1: down. Mm-hmm.
3: Right. And at the same time too, and to, to uh, this film, unlike I think both the novel and then also Lynch's film, I, I don't believe does this at least as well um, to quote macho man, Randy Savage. There's a lot of um, jaw jacking and grandstanding. There's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of ceremony that really doesn't mean much. And there's a particular scene where Leto, you know, well, moments before pa is kind of lamenting why, how this, this ceremony, it's all unnecessary. Mm-hmm. It's all bullshit. And like Leto and, you know, applying his seal, um, confirming his obligation to go, you know, exploit Arrakis. He, he takes a moment to just look at Paul and be like, yeah, this is all kind of dumb. Right. And that I, yeah. Cynical. Yeah. Um, but also to Dalton's point, a lot more realistic, I think. And it, it's, it's very I appreciate it very much that Villeneuve did not just get lost in the like ceremony and the obligation and make these kind of characters that just do what they're designed to do. They can kind of see their place in the universe a little bit. They're a little more actualized, I think, and it yeah. helps this one quite a bit,
1: which I feel like I mean, there, there's some characters that I feel like we definitely don't get enough time with mm-hmm. definitely get feel short shrifted. But there's just, I mean, there's so much ground to cover. Like, of course that was going to happen, but it could have very easily been even worse than that, right? It could have very Mm -hmm. easily turned into just an action movie, but I feel like all of us tonight have kind of hit on this, that it manages to preserve this core thread of like human interaction, human, like interpersonal relationships. Like it still is about how people feel about one another um, in almost every scene, which I think is a hard thing to do in a movie this
0: big. Right. And I love uh, that it's, we get multiple perspectives. Yeah, uh, It's not just House of Atreides. That would have been the easy thing to do. Okay, these are the heroes. These are the good guys. Yeah, there's going to be some great water, but at the end of the day, we know they're the good guys. You walk away from this movie saying, I don't know, they might be the oppressors. We also get a lot of scenes uh, with the, you know, who... And a lot of films be considered the bad guys. A lot of scenes where we're seeing they're scheming and they've got their own sort of like political game. Obviously, they're clearly evil. They they look they look evil. They they got a uh, weird they, spider thing. They do. <laughs> but I still appreciate that you, you have moments where you're like, okay, well, here's their motivations on the table. Uh, and also uh, something that is not really that that's always present, but not actually getting hardly any screen time in this film is the the Imperials. They're really not in the movie. We have like one scene on the Imperial planet, right? Uh, yes. Uh, this uh, the, we uh, there's a name
1: I can't remember what it is. It's Salusa Secundus, some shit like that. Oh yeah, yeah. The let's the, just go with that. yeah, the, the, <laughs> the home of the Sardikar. Car. Yeah, yes. we get one planet one, and that's not even like the the no, that's political like a seat. It's just like a prison planet. and military planet. Yeah.
0: Wow, so that's not even like the main... No,
1: uh, no. that's just where the Sardaukar live.
0: So so, so it's, it's, it almost feels like there's also this other unseen yeah, element. The, the Emperor's not in this film at all, but yet I feel like he's the bad guy. Uh, and uh, If we were going to say there's a bad guy, it's the, the political mastermind who's pitting these two houses against yeah. each other on a, another planet that's harming the indigenous people, you know?
3: Yeah, it's kind of weird because there's... yeah. I think the the emperor could be seen as maybe the logical big antagonist. Yeah. There is a character they're omitting. Um, I think strategically from this film, uh, Harkonnen. Um, for, is it Foyd Rotha? Uh, Fade, Fade Rotha. Yeah, um, he is not in this film at all, but he is a very, I think, a pretty strong antagonistic force in um, in Dune. So, I, uh, I I suspect we'll see quite a bit more. Oh, I'm so, excited. Yeah. Yeah,
1: he's he's a character that doesn't do a lot in the first half of the book, so I think it makes sense that they kind of just shifted him to the yeah. end.
3: Yeah, and not to spoil like what he does no. and how he operates, but
1: But Dave Batista gets a scene that would have been his and I think it works. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of Dave
0: Batista, can't wait to see more of him in the sequel. Oh, he
3: gets oh, yeah. to go full pro
0: wrestler in one oh, scene yeah. and just <laughs> yell. So <great>. <laughs> <laughs> he,
3: he didn't hit a Batista bomb, but
0: <sighs> I do
3: miss
2: him
0: in very tiny glasses.
3: Oh, he was. Oh, like
0: Tiny scene stealer, movie stealer. He's in one scene in Blade Runner 2049 with those things. Scene of the movie. <laughs> mm, so good. God. Uh, okay, last thing I want to talk about here, and we hit on it a little bit uh, in the review, is just the, the way in which this film portrays uh, prophecy. Uh, I'm a big fan of prophecies when properly utilized, or properly is it not probably the best word, uh, when used effectively uh, in a story. Uh, and I think this one does a really good job. Obviously we aren't going to, we don't see any of the payoff in this film really. And there's a couple of visions early on that pay off by the end of the movie, but like the, the grand scheme uh, of uh, Paul raising up this army and returning to his home planet almost as a conqueror sort of thing. Uh, and I love that they, they, they put in this doubt where I love they put in this doubt where you're sort of asking the question, is this going to happen? Is it a dream? Um, and it also is sort of simultaneously driving him a little crazy. Uh, so I, I love that sort of Shakespearean approach to, to prophecy. Uh, so I just want to get you guys' take. Uh, were you guys a, a fan on how Villeneuve and, and his team incorporated them into the story here?
1: Yeah, there's so much a, a bigger part of the novel. Uh, at, at the point of the story that part one gets to, it feels like we – I would have expected us to get more, but what we get, I think works really well. I think the best example, and I'm really curious how you feel about this Joe, just because, so we, we get a lot of scenes or not a lot of scenes, but a, a couple of scenes where Paul is um, having a vision of this dude, James teaching him and being his friend. And then by the end of the movie, Paul has killed this guy.
3: Mm-hmm. And, and
1: so I, I feel like, obviously I know that the Denis Villeneuve is trying to communicate to me that his, prescient powers are not always 100 percent accurate is that did that work for you as far as like communicating that information
2: i will say i did have to look that up okay. because i was not sure if what he was seeing was the absolute future and then looking up on like reddit and things i was like oh he's seeing also the past and like maybe seeing like a communal memory um yes. but i did have to look that up um, in addition to, I think the other thing that I looked up was like, is the sandworm laughing at him? Like, so I had to look up like two things and those were the two things. Um, but I was a little confused cause I was, I was not sure if the death was supposed to happen or if he had seen something incorrectly, um, but after having looked it up i understand like he's seeing maybe someone else's memory is that uh,
1: so i read it as and I, I i mean, again it could this is all up to what Denis noon team decided that this means but for me it read as like this is a possible future in which this guy does become his friend mm. and he's seeing the best case scenario and that is not what plays out yeah
2: i mean that works for me too yeah i'm fine with really that it.
1: um but it definitely yes in the novel they especially later in the series they get into
0: family memory and stuff, mm-hmm. and genetic memory.
2: Okay, yeah. cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It is. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's weird. It's psychedelics, yeah. I, I sort of took it as more of like the the mix between he's he's having forward-thinking visions, but they might just be hallucinations, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. The, the spice activates like a part of his like psychic powers, you know, that is, as you say, a possible future that's not real, but it also simultaneously shows him things that are going to happen. Mm-hmm. So it's like, uh, or versions or, of or things versions that of, of things that will happen. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm.
3: Daniel. Yeah. And I think, um, when you're slinging around prophecies and destinies and, uh, putting them on people, um, and assuming they have to do this specific thing, it's uh, enough to drive you a little fucking insane. <laughs> and I, I think this film, at least in parts, I, I maybe would have preferred it to go a little bit further, but it does capture the, the, how unhinged you can become when you're, um, you know when you have the pressure of a destiny made me think of uh and this film maybe explores it a little bit deeper but uh Ari Aster's Hereditary oh, involves yeah. a prophecy on on somebody who's about Paul's age and uh that does not end well i guess it ends prophecy fulfilled, I guess, but I I don't know if I want to say, well, um, but like it, uh, spoilers, Daniel. Yeah, I know my bad. Um, hail payment, but it, um, it, uh, yeah, it's, it, it, I think it does a really good job of, of capturing that. And I think just because it doesn't, um, give us the full scope of the, 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 you know, the hero's journey or anything like that, it, um, it's still, gets the the high notes we need. And and films and stories can can capture that really well. I mean, like let's look at the, you know, David Lowry's The Green Knight. That's a I think a segmented portion of uh of um of a bigger tapestry, you know, of somebody's life. And it's it it does it well. I think it delivers that in a, a very effective manner.
0: Awesome. Uh my other favorite part about prophecies is that people on the internet are gonna be going crazy for the next two years. Uh having to for sin explore- they might have to read a book. You're right. And no. I hear, and my understanding is, uh, again, this is not a spoiler, this is me uh, remembering what my friend in high school who had read all the books uh, had said, that prophecies become an even bigger part of the series. Yeah, uh, baby.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> baby. We start
0: getting shit that, like the golden path. Humanity's
3: yeah. future. Yeah, oh, it's man. great. We're talking gosh. big, big worm. Bo- no, I don't want to. Big worm, <laughs> big, big worm, big worm, big worm. There's if you yeah. like worms, <laughs> boy, do you get more You're worms? More worms. Yes.
1: More worms? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
3: There's there's <laughs> infinite
1: worms. Yeah. yeah. This is this is a big part of why I, I decided to like dive further in because I'm like, there's some so much weird stuff I keep hearing about in like the later books, and I'm like, all right, I gotta get you through gotta these first four, and I'll I'll be done. But <laughs> the first four are apparently the ones that you gotta get to. Yeah. And then you can stop after that. Is sort of what I've been told. Yeah, it's a shame.
0: But you know it is what I think he what he wrote he wrote Frank Herbert wrote six yeah he wrote six and then his sons published a bunch of stuff since yes they I mean, closed Brian out Herbert. yeah they closed out the series based
1: on his uh, daddy's notes yeah. um, weird weird relationship I'm I'm fascinated by uh, Brian Herbert and his decision to continue his dad's legacy because his dad was not great by all accounts. <laughs>
0: Well, we'll have to wait to see how things play out in Dune Part Two. And uh, Denis Villeneuve says he his goal is mm-hmm. to do uh, to also adapt uh, Dune Messiah. So I had heard this. He, he wants to. Do, he, he sees it as a trilogy: Part One, Part Two, Dune Messiah. So that feels things-
1: like all you could reasonably do. Truly, everything else feels like you got to go start going to HBO and
3: doing TV shows at that point. I feel like. Yeah, and I think some of the like really I, I think iconic imagery that we're kind of joking about will probably. I would suspect it might make its way into a, a Dune Messiah adaptation. But. Yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: I mean, there's there's visual allusions to, like, much later stuff in, in the Dune lore in this movie. Uh, Dan Dean and I were talking about this uh, a little bit earlier. Uh, but there's a great shot with Baron Harkonnen that anybody that's gotten super deep into the lore of Dune knows is sort of visually referential of a, of a character later in the series. That Anyway, it's, just, it's cool stuff, and I'm sure Denis will continue to live a little... Little breadcrumbs for people who want to think about the the sort of the larger
0: story. See, this is this is uh, a great way to to pitch this to Marvel fans. Be like, look, the Dune cinematic universe. You gotta, <laughs> you want to catch the Easter egg over here. You got to read the novel and watch the next three movies and the HBO show. Come on, let's do it. Is the word
3: universe a, a thing? Is that- oh, it should be. now okay. it is. Here we go. I
0: just did it. Yeah. <laughs> what's the What's the name of Dune Part Two? Or what's how do you spell it on a poster? Maybe is a better way.
1: Tune, oh. I believe, was uh the Matt Singer tweet that I yes. saw that I really
0: liked. It was two U N E? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Tune. big Ooh. fan of that one. Uh, I gotta say, guys, uh Dune memes took off in a way I didn't expect they would. It's been <gasps> great, it's so good. The, the title memes yesterday that were flying. I'm or, just so uh, glad the, yeah. m- the, the internet
1: likes this movie. Yes, it's it's fun you know. to watch people just unironically enjoy something together. That's that's just nice. It's so nice. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, with all that said, ladies and gentlemen, we are out of time. I do want to give everyone around the table one last chance, uh, and the spoiler gloves are off. Is there anything else you would like to add about Doom before we close out the show today?
3: Um. Yeah, I'll add one thing kind of just broadly. Um, I think over the last year, maybe a lot of us, mostly because of the circumstances, uh, may have fallen just a little bit out of love with film. I definitely fell a little an interest I think in film criticism and approaching film as a whole, and the prospect of that this film specifically and now many others because we're getting so many great films that are coming out right now it really kind of sparked something it got me a lot more interested again and and ready to talk about films and you know um in a critical way and so I, I owe a lot i think to Denis villeneuve for this film because it did catalyze my interest in cinema again and so for that Even though I gave it a B, which doesn't sound like something I would award the way I'm describing it right now. But um, for that, I think it's good. I think that this is a very clearly a passionate film um, and one worth seeing.
0: Absolutely. But listeners, maybe if you enjoyed today's conversation, you want to keep up with all the great insights and tweets uh, maybe uh, that our, our guests are putting out there, like maybe Dalton's uh, spice related tweets. Okay, he's a very spicy boy right now. So Dalton, where can people find the spicy boy
1: tweets on the Internet? If you found yourself unfortunate enough to have a Twitter account, I guess you can follow me at doll underscore stew. Uh, yeah, I, I don't tweet very often, but I've been on a roll with some very dumb spice related humor. Uh, but if you really want to know I'm up to, you can uh, subscribe to the Good Trash Genre Cast on Apple, Stitcher. We're not on Spotify. It's not like a you know xenophobia against the Swedes thing or anything. It's just Podbean's RSS feeds are weird. No mm. offense, Spotify uh, lovers. I, I, that's what I use for most of my podcasts. But uh, yeah, Good Trash Genre Cast. We're we're everywhere else. Uh, we just got done doing a. a uh shocktober 10 god i can't believe it's the 10th time we've. yeah done 10 years congratulations well this won't be 10 years officially until next september but uh thank you thank you very much we'll be starting year 11 at that point but yeah it's the 10th time we've done a halloween marathon and we did uh, uh a lot of the early aughts uh horror remakes that were so prevalent uh we had a lot of fun trying to go in and get deep film analysis out of some not particularly deep movies <laughs>
0: You know, though, I, I just recently listened to your 13 Ghost episode because that's a movie I frequently think about, and it's not a good movie, but I frequently am like, that's totally. a good movie to turn it's on right got now. got a lot of it, visuals a lot that of, are just kind of interesting. And you guys put a really interesting, because what you guys do on that show is very uh, analysis-driven, much like more like the second half of this conversation today, and um, you guys made me think about it in the context of 9-11, which I've never, ever done before. So, anyway, great conversation, listeners. Check it out. Good Trash Genre Cast. Thanks, man. Joe Light, where can people keep up with you and your work online?
2: Uh, Yeah, you can follow me at uh, Joe underscore Lightly on Twitter, and you can look at NoFilmSchool.com. I just did a couple of interviews with uh, horror writer directors that I'm really, really fond of. I interviewed Michael Kennedy, who uh, co-wrote Freaky, which is an amazing horror comedy, if you haven't seen that already, and then um, Scott Cooper, who uh, directed and co-wrote Antlers, which is a really beautiful
0: horror film. Awesome. Check it out. Listeners and Daniel Bo Kemper, where can people keep up with you
3: and all the things you're doing? Yeah, I can't remember my Twitter handle. So of course, um, check me out on the (laughs) uh, cinematropolis.com alongside Caleb. Check out my most recent essay about the ecology of Dune. And if the ecologist message is preserved, it is, but um, still read the essay anyway. Uh, Likewise, uh, catch me in the latest issue of world literature today. I have a review of uh, Tahar Ben, Jaloon's uh, "The Pleasure Marriage." Um, it's kind of like a modern episode of Thousand and One Nights." Um, hmm. Very, very insightful, very um, creative, and uh, um, a little, a little grim too, unfortunately. But still, uh, again, definitely worth reading. But check out the review. Pick up copies of War Literature today, wherever you pick up your uh, uh, international literary magazines. Every, everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. Pretty much Seven Eleven I guess. I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, check that out. That's World Literature Today. Uh, of course, you can find me um, on the internet over at thecinematropolis.com. Uh, we were, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we're on a bit of a hiatus while life circumstances uh, recalibrate a little bit. But we're going to be back with uh, at least two podcasts a month. Uh, here for the rest of the year and into next year uh, and uh, hope to get some more essays up on the website here pretty soon so uh, that's at the cinematropolis.com uh, you can also find the cinematropolis on twitter and facebook uh, or you can find me personally on twitter tweeting about uh, films uh, video games all the pop culture nonsense that i love um, that's uh, on twitter at c masters talk that is letter c masters talk all right, uh, well, listeners, uh, it's been so great talking with you about Capital C Cinema uh, while we're discussing Dune. Tune in on our next episode when we'll be doing a review of Wes Anderson's The French Dispatch because movies are back. And it's whenever we'll I have to choose between The French Dispatch and then Last Night in Soho and Antlers, three movies I want to see very badly. You know, it's a good good time to be into movies. Uh, so check us out on our next episode. We'll catch you again next time.